Hello, and welcome to the Burning Coal Theater's podcast series, Into the Fire, with Jerome Davis. Hi, this is Jerry Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company. I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Today we have a special guest, the director of King Charles III by Mike Bartlett. Uh, Her name is Karen O'Brien, and Karen uh, comes to us uh, from Cincinnati, Ohio. So Karen, welcome. Thank you, thanks for having me. We have known each other for some time uh, because you used to uh, teach at UNC. You were in the, you were teaching Irish uh, dramatic literature, I guess, modern dramatic literature mostly. Yes, um, I had the opportunity to, to teach a class in modern Irish drama and contemporary Irish drama. And I also taught another class I designed called Ecology and Performance that was based on devised performance and merged experiential learning and community-based perspectives. So I took students out in the field and we explored environmental issues and then I taught them performance techniques and then they worked in groups to collaborate to create pieces that promoted socio-ecological sustainability. And then I also taught directing there as well. That's fantastic. I didn't know that. Uh, And so were most of the students theater students or were they mostly interested in the uh, environment or both? Um, Both. There were a range of students from all over the university that would take the class. It was a first year seminar. So it would be freshman students. And that's interesting. How, how does that work? Uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, if you're do, do, teaching English uh, or math 101 or something, it's pretty, uh, there's a fairly set curriculum, I would imagine. But does the college just say to you, tell us what you want to teach? Uh, how do you create a class like that? that? It sounds very specific and very interesting to me. It's something that I wanted to do um, before I, I came, and I actually had the class written into my contract as a possibility to design, um, because I. Um, so, but the university is very open to new classes and um, and and new designs, and then it goes through a process of approval. Um, once you create it. I see, I see. And uh, you had a, a fair number of students who, who took that class? Uh, I did, yeah. Uh, we had a, a really great time, and some students say it was a, their favorite class of, of yeah. their... Yeah. Every time I've been in one of your classes, I, you w- w- were kind enough to invite me to talk to several of your classes, as I recall, mm-hmm. about um, uh, the Irish uh, plays. Uh, right. There's some sort of fanciful idea that I particularly like Irish uh, drama, <laughs> mainly because that's all we ever do here at Burning Cold. But uh, but I uh, I noticed that the classes were always packed with people, and and they would often be from many different disciplines, not mm-hmm. just uh, theater or, or English. Uh, students or literature students yeah it was really interesting that it attracted so many students but um there really isn't an irish program there so um i think that's why it attracted a range of students who to kind of fill that maybe a sort of void but they always looked forward to your guest visits Uh and um you always had great insights and Many of them were even eager to then come to the theater and, and get involved yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, which is terrific. We have one young man from your class who's assistant mm-hmm. directing on this production, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, George yeah. Slosser. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you that you uh, were working in a devised method. Our, our uh, second to last production, the uh, production uh, 
uh, uh, Peter Pan and Wendy, which we did in December and later toured to schools, um, was created through the devised or through a devised method. I suppose it's different sort of for each person in a way. Can you explain just a little bit about how you worked with the students? Um, well, I taught them a range of techniques because I felt that they needed various options. So we didn't just work from, say, improv or just Boal-based or um, just like theater justice-based. Um, so I, I taught them um, some Boal, some, um, um, I'm trying to remember, it's been a while, but mm -hmm. basically just a variety of techniques mm -hmm. that they can pull, some like eth ethnographic or documentary approaches. Right. Um, uh, Interview-based? Uh, yeah, just some of that. They yeah. were just able to kind of latch on to what would be good for their project. Um, so at the end, we'd find that we had a, a range of methods that were incorporated. But what was important was that performance was a mode of research for I see. them. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. And, mm -hmm. and were they able to present uh, some of their work as well and as... they did, yeah. yeah they presented oh, that's it. Yeah. Um, I saw a, a few years ago over in London at the National Theater, there was a production called London Road. Do you know about that? that piece at all. Yeah. It's by a woman named Alecki Blythe, and I forget who the, the man's name was who did, I think, the music for her, but most of what she's done has been a, a sort of like um, uh, Anna Devera Smith's method, uh, interviewing people and then reciting by uh, listening uh, over headsets, mm -hmm. listening to their voices and then reciting it to the audience. But London Road was different in that it was a musical. Mm -hmm. And so the, the lyrics to the songs were the words that had been spoken by this particular community following a, a fairly horrific event that happened. A, a serial killer had ended up uh, uh, taking up residence in their community for a short time and a number of women were killed. and. And afterwards, Alecki went in and, and interviewed the people from the community, and it was uh, both beautiful and startling and, and a little bit scary, uh, you know, uh, some of the things that was said. But what, one of the things I loved about it is that she didn't uh, edit out anything, so all of the sort of vocal static and... Uh, Erms uh, and things like that. They were all part of the lyrics of this, mm. uh, this oh, that's piece. Interesting. And it was pretty good. Yeah, there's actually a recording of it. I think they did a cast album of it, so it's uh, it's possible to listen uh, listen to it. What I really like about the documentary approach, though, is that it presents a range of perspectives. It doesn't really tell you how to think. Yeah. You know, it just engages you right. um, in, a, right. in a critical way. It makes you think, yeah. And documentary can mean research, obviously, so the event could be hundreds of years old or, or it could be something that happened yesterday or, or hasn't yet happened, I suppose. That's fascinating. Uh, King Charles III is anything but devised. It's sort of the on the opposite end of the spectrum. When did you first come to know about this this piece? Was was it when I called you and asked you to direct it? Or? Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, you introduced me to it, and I fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, and, yeah. and I had seen your work while you were living in Chapel Hill. You directed a very strong uh, production of Journey's End by uh, R.C. Sheriff, I think is the writer's yes. name, um, mm -hmm. uh, about the trench warfare in World War I. Uh, you did that with uh, Paul Frelick's company, uh, Deep Dish. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Um, yes, that was a really great experience, um, working both with a, 
another large cast, not as large as um, this cast here, um, and designers, very complex, you know, um, a longer play, but very much about humanity, the spirit of humanity, and um, what it was like for these men in this possible um, condition and situation of being in the trenches and, and living through this great war. Um, and then yet we're able to um, have the utmost integrity and, and courage and compassion and um, moments of bonding and love through the process. Mm -hmm. um, so that it was ex really exciting to explore and discover all that with the actors along felt, the way and the so. designers as well. Yeah, and they were good too. It, that's not a piece that you can sort of fake it when the when the bombs are going off, the audience sort of has to feel it uh, yeah. and, and hear it. Uh, mm -hmm. So the design has to be really, um, really spot on, I think, especially in a small theater like that where the audience is right up on, right up on the thing. Um, and uh, so you've also directed around the country as well. Can you tell us just a little bit about your other directing experience or some, some of the highlights? Yeah. Um well, recently something interesting that I have never done before is I was invited to direct in the One Minute Play Festival. Uh -huh. And it was really interesting to consider that a play could be one minute long. Was this in Cincinnati? It, it was in Cincinnati. Uh -huh. um, and it's it was at the No Theater there. And it was really fascinating because some play, one minute plays um, were almost like whole plays condensed down into you know one minute and there was so much to discover but what i ended up directing was eight different plays by eight playwrights mm -hmm. in a cluster and um, i didn't get to work with all the playwrights that because they weren't available but i did get to work with some of them and cast an ensemble of eight actors who played all the roles um, and it was just a really incredible experience of kind of sorting through and some of them were more nuggets for the development of a future play and some felt like it like I said it was a play just condensed mm -hmm. down to to one minute yeah. um, and then to put them all together and figure out an order and again just working really closely with an ensemble in the process was exciting yeah. was it uh, I'm trying to remember the writer was it him Hemingway who wrote the Killers, is that the name of it? Uh, I'm not sure. It, it started out as a novel and he started paring it down and cutting it and it ended up at like a seven page short story or something oh, like yeah. that. I remember one of my college professors going on and on about that. I think it was called The Killers and I'm pretty sure it was Hemingway. But I, somebody can call me and tell me if I'm wrong about that. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into theater. Um, you know, uh, it seems like you have a diverse set of interests from the literary side of things to directing. Have you acted as well? Um, I have. I've acted. Um, and also, but I started, got into directing first. I attended college at the Conservatory of Music at the University of Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah. But I was directing film and video. Um, and I was writing original work, but I was also adapting plays for the screen. And ultimately, I caught the interest of the head of the directing program in the theater department who yeah. asked me to join the program um, and go to graduate school and study mm -hmm. with him for three years. 
um, and they accept one person a year to do that. So I thought, well, that sounds like Better a say yes good to idea. That, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and that just, I, I remember the first day he said to me, well, you're one of us now. And I did, I became um, one of us. <laughs> yeah. And it was um, really one of the best experiences of my life going through that process. Mm -hmm. and, and through that, I got to study with Edward Albee and um, Martha Levy and work, assist and, and direct. Yeah. Assist and directed Second City and Center Theater and Cincinnati Playhouse in the park. And so that got me started in the theater. Um, and then I mostly focused on fringe work, kind of off the radar in Chicago and San Francisco, um, some original work or did some Shepherd um, and things. And I was trying to negotiate at that time what it meant to be an artist, but also to um, live in what I perceived to be the real world and trying to figure that out. Um, and I was really missing academia in some ways because it's where you can um, think out of the box and there's yeah. you know a lot of resources and a lot of collaboration yeah. and a lot of freedom yeah. to do what you want to do. And so I eventually decided to pursue a PhD so I can be competitive and, and build a career. What is that, uh, the PhD, and what was your focus um, It was in theater and drama, um, just generally. But I originally wanted to focus in directing. Uh -huh. But there's only a couple programs that really focus in directing at the PhD level. Oh, yeah. But I thought if I could um, build a professional career um, and have an affiliation at a university like a lot of people do and then build a professional career but also be able to do a lot of different things and mentor students and, and yeah. such. Um, so I did find a program um, that I was interested in and it was actually at an Ivy League university and which was seemed well, way beyond my reach but I imagined to get um, I managed to get an interview and then at the second interview I was interviewed by a professor with a very thick German accent. Okay. And Where <laughs> I was, had, which uh, Ivy League school? Oh, I, I don't know if I should say. Um, well, uh, I don't know. Um, he, okay. Well, he, Tony Kushner studied under him, so uh -huh. he was kind of an important person. Yeah. Um, and he, I told him one of my interests was Irish drama, okay. and he latched on to that pretty quickly and he was really excited to talk about this play called, called The Ostrich and I hadn't heard of it no. before um, and I could see the disappointment kind of overcome his face and yeah. I started feeling a sense of shame and I could tell that this was really going south yeah. and when I left the interview I went straight home and googled um, this ostrich play and I couldn't find it and I thought that a-hole you know there wasn't really an ostrich play but then uh -huh. the more I said it I realized he was saying the hostage oh right right, right. the hostage okay. Um, okay. so I just I guess that's the reason why I didn't end up you know focusing more on directing for my PhD but I ended up in a really great program yes Anyway, where yeah. was that? Um, that was at the University of California, Irvine, San Diego. Cal Irvine, yeah. A joint program. Yeah. 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 Um, there in Irvine, it's the hub for critical theory. Uh -huh. So I started to really get interested in notions and you know abstract ideas and and how um, 
you know, in philosophies and how they can impact the way we think and perform. Um, and so that, I focused on that in lieu of performance because I only had five years, to, and that's really a short amount of time to, to yeah. get the PhD. Yeah. And that also helped um, further along my a lot of the publishing that I had to do and presentations and so forth. So. I hope that your thesis was on the ostrich. I think it, yeah, oh gosh, definitely. Yeah. I would have all thought you were brilliant. <laughs> she knows the one play none of us know. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Uh, so, so I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said that you uh, were interested in being an artist but also wanted to live in the real world. Why is there a, a dichotomy? Why is there a split? between those two things, do you think? There, I don't think there are any plumbers walking around thinking, I want to be a plumber and live in the real world. Uh, why is it that way with artists, do you think, in this country? And, and have you had that experience in other places uh, uh, besides the US? Yeah. Well, I've come to think that it's just based on your belief. It was, for me, a perception that there was this real world that I had to try to figure out how to be an artist in, but I think now I feel that um, I just have to be more steadfast and, and, and forge that world, that it's, it's there for the taking. You just have to yeah. believe in it and stay committed to it. Is, is there a perception among the general population that artists are not part of their communities, do you think? In some places, I, I think so. Um, but in places where there's a lot of community-based work, I think um, it's becoming more evident the value of the arts. Right. So that suggests to me that there's that it isn't a, as much a figurative wall between us and the audience as as maybe a literal one, right? Uh, so if you go out into those communities, you can uh, say, develop develop a sense of. Uh, ownership uh, in that community. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, King Charles III then. You've now been uh, at it for, I guess, uh, I mean, the rehearsals are about four weeks on, but you've been working on the play, I assume, for the last six months or so. What can you tell us about the play that doesn't give any way, uh, give away any of the, spo you know, sort of spoiler alert moments uh, oh. in the play? <laughs> well, um, she, I think it's, political intrigue at its best and familial dynamics and um, exploring important issues of freedom of the press and uses and abuses of power and the necessity for checks and balances in our system, all that. But what really appeals to me about it is that there's a stream of revolutionary energy flowing through the whole play mm -hmm. in every character. Um, and it's moving people to action. They're not passive, they're not laying back. Um, they're all fighting for something. And so King Charles III says, without my voice and spirit, I am dust. This is not what I want, but what I must. Yeah. And so it's that, that action that, that people are taking in the revolutionary energy that I feel is really significant in our present moment. I've told this uh, before. Um, Alex, our uh, uh, technician over here, is uh, grimacing because he's already heard it four times. But but when I saw the play the first time, I uh, very near intermission, something uh, very uh, exhilarating happens that is unexpected, and and I saw the theater 
audience collectively rise out of their seats. I mean, not entirely. It wasn't like a standing ovation at a musical, but there was this sense of we're 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 getting up now. We're going to get up and show our support of this. And I saw people like pumping the, their fists in the air and things like that. And I remember thinking, I've never ever seen that before. And um, and I wonder uh, what it is about the play that can cause that kind of energy in an audience, but. But that uh, what you just said suggests that it's the the sense of revolution uh, and action uh, in the play. Perhaps um, it's such a different kind of play, though. It's uh, you know if if somebody were to draw a a picture of of what the the perfect play would look like, it wouldn't have any of the qualities. I think maybe that this play it wouldn't have a sixty five year old. Uh, protagonist you know who's been sitting around doing nothing all his life you know uh, it's it certainly uh, wouldn't be an iambic pentameter uh, I think uh, certainly not in, in today um, so uh, but but that, that is how how great art is isn't it it's always the unexpected thing that that uh, sh shakes us uh, why why is that why does that always seem to be the case do you think uh, our audiences um, inundated with with art today and and so something really has to be extraordinary in order to to get our attention or what is it what's going on there do you think um I, it could be the cultural moment too um that you know we're we're ready and you know within the play itself it is of a particular moment it's you know seizing the opportunity now is the time i've been waiting for this my whole life and this is going to be yeah. exciting i'm going to make stuff happen I'm going to do stuff now. Yeah, 2016 felt like that to me, uh, being as I am a Bernie Sanders supporter, but uh, somehow that didn't quite come to pass. Uh, so maybe uh, maybe 2020 will be that moment. The play is set just in the future, right? It's we. I mean, it could be tomorrow. It could be two years, five years uh, down the road, but it's set just ahead of us. Um, the, uh, the cast that you're working with uh, includes... Um, uh, somebody who's uh, been working with our company since the very beginning, or almost the very beginning, uh, Randy Rand. Can you talk about working with Randy a little bit? Yes, um, it's been fabulous working with Randy, and we've just really had some so much fun too. Um, not just a good collaborative working relationship, although he he kidded one day and he said, "Fun, it's the first thing to go," um, <laughs> but it it really. Um, we haven't had a bad time yet, and it's um, yeah. been, like I said, a, a collaborative endeavor. Um, we've been working closely and having really great discussions um, and explorations and, and having great discoveries, and really the whole ensemble, too. It's so exciting to work with a group that's willing to take risks and try new things and just to do whatever it takes to make everything come together. Is this your first time working in Thrust? Um, it's not my first time working in Thrust, um, but I've, I really enjoy working in Thrust. Yeah. I, I, I would like to actually work in the round, too. I haven't done that yet. Well, noted. Uh, <laughs> what's uh, what's uh, on the horizon for you, uh, Karen? What do you want to do uh, next? Uh, like, Do you have a, a vision of the next five or ten years of your life? Um, yes, right now I'm having a blast focusing on um, artistic work um, as a director 
And in the future, I'm thinking whether it might be working in a professional theater, maybe as an artistic associate where I can continue to direct, mm -hmm. maybe a cultural organization where I can also continue to direct, but you know, maybe help support other artistic initiatives. And it could possibly be back at you know a university. Mm -hmm. I think all the options are viable right now, mm -hmm. um, but I'm just having a good time working in, in this particular moment. This moment is a is a troubling moment in many, many ways from a from a political standpoint and a social standpoint. Um, do you see um, the the country moving forward right now? Is that something you think about much as an artist? Um, well, I sure hope so. Um, I think this play is kind of helps is relevant in that way uh -huh. um, and helps raise. Kind of critical awareness and advance critical conversation without really telling you how to think about it, right. which is important. Um, and I hope I think the artist's work is of the utmost importance. Um, there's a director, um, Sevalad Meyerhold, who's known for biomechanics, who said, "I want to burn with the spirit of the times, the theater." Um, has an enormous part in the possibility of the transformation of our own existence, uh -huh. something like that. Yeah. And that's sort of how I think about directing. I want to, um, using mise-en-scene elements in the most imaginative way to create um, imaginative staging that really is a reflection of the zeitgeist of our moment. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so exciting about directing King Charles III, because I, I feel it does that. And I sure hope that this kind of work does have an impact and does encourage and enrich conversation and um, that we move in a, a much better direction. Um, but I think the revolutionary energies that we were discussing yeah. have a big part to play in that. They're starting to find platforms uh, for, to allow them uh, that uh, those ideas to to be expressed uh, collectively. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question uh, because uh, I was about to let that be the last one, but you used a phrase that, that fascinated me, imaginative staging. What, what does that mean to you? Um, it means being as, as bold as I, I can be. It, it means um, having strong elements of connection and, and communication both on the stage but also between the actors and the audience. I think it's really important to bond and, and unite the actors and the audience through that process, through the, the various staging elements and the acting. Um, so the imaginative part, I guess, is that, that link between the two that, that makes it dynamic and, and come to life and mm -hmm. it's through I guess rhythms and um, picturization and um, emotional connection. Is it knowable in advance if you're directing uh, a piece or, or must it be discovered in the in the rehearsal room? I think it must be discovered. There's a quote um, I can't remember who to attribute to but they said directing is like trying to see around the corner in advance. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what I really love about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Good. Well, we love uh, having you here. It's been terrific uh, so far, and we're opening the play next week. That's April 12th and running through the 29th here at uh, Burning Coal Theater. The website is burningcoal.org if you're interested in more information about King Charles III. Uh, don't don't find out too much information about it uh, because you want to be surprised as I was when I first saw it. Um, burningcoal.org or if you want to avoid online service charges you can call us at 919-834-4001. Karen O'Brien, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a delight. Thank you, Jerry. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out our production of King Charles III, running from April 12th through April 29th, 2018, at the Murphy School in Raleigh. For more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org.